0: Here, now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again
1: made contact with our leader mark
0: levin
2: we have two diametrically opposed stories my view professor ford's telling the truth
3: We interrupt this edition of the Mark Levin Show to bring you a special edition of the Chuck Schumer Sexual Assault Allegation Show. Here at the Chuck Schumer Sexual Assault Allegation Show, we facilitate Chuck Schumer Sexual Assault Allegations because we believe at the Chuck Schumer Sexual Assault Allegation Show that all allegations are important. We believe that all Chuck Schumer sexual assault allegations are important We believe that all Chuck Schumer sexual assault allegations are serious. And most importantly, we believe that all Chuck Schumer sexual assault allegations should be believed. Healing happens here at the Chuck Schumer sexual assault allegations show. If you would like to join the Chuck Schumer sexual allegations show, you may heal by calling 877-381-3811. All right, so uh, hey, what a week uh, it's been, huh? What a, what a few weeks it's been. Uh, it is your South Florida friend, Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. And by the way, because there's always one, this is uh, not the place to share your, your Chuck Schumer sexual assault allegations. If you've learned nothing by now, you go directly to the FBI and you demand an investigation and then be sure to look over their shoulder and tell them how they can conduct it all throughout the, the course of that investigation. But the, the absurdity of this situation is that Chuck Schumer, the last time I uh, was joining you a couple Tuesdays ago, had made that statement earlier in the day before we even had the hearing last Thursday. Well, I believe her. And that's what this really was all about. That's what this all, really was all about. Not Brett Kavanaugh, not about the Supreme Court, not about Christine Ford. It's about what kind of country we're going to be, what kind of country uh, this would end up representing in a world in which someone as distinguished as incredible and, you know, otherwise clean as Brett Kavanaugh. If he could be taken down the highest levels of justice, we're all screwed. The moment that somebody comes out of left field with an allegation I actually shared a, a very personal story with you. And I received stories from across the country and I believe I responded to uh, to all of you who who shared those stories about extortion, about threats, about people that had done bad things to you. And here's the, the good news and the bad news. The good news and the bad news of this situation is that we're not screwed in this country. The bad news is we are. Two votes away today from being screwed in this country. So it's a big time wake up call and a reminder, a reminder about several things. For example, it's a reminder right now that if you are in Chicago and you're a Cubs fan and you're a leftist, wow, it must suck to be you right now. must really suck to be you. In fact, if I were you, I wouldn't even show up to vote. What's the point? What's the point? You know, just saying. But it's also a reminder that we are riding on that fine line, that fine line. And I got a message for you. If you are familiar with my work, then you have heard me talk about the premise. And the premise is what I operate off of. I will never embrace a false one. And if you build anything on a false premise, anything built upon it is indeed itself going to fail. For example, when you are Chuck Schumer and you say, hey, you know what? I believe her. You have no evidence, you have no testimony, you have nothing. I believe her. That's a false premise. And guess what? You lose. But we all do. So that's the, the first and most important thing. The second is that there are two sides to stories and one side of facts. Now, here are the facts. And it's something that drove me crazy, 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 crazy. Last Thursday. And bless her heart. Susan Collins, who delivered a speech, and among the things I never imagined that I would be saying at any point today, one that, oh my God, Chuck Grassley, he's got some juice left. Who knew? Got a spry, a little spunky. And Susan Collins, Susan Collins this afternoon delivered the most remarkable speech I've ever heard a senator deliver. What the heck happened here? I got a, got a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting things going on. But in the context that there are two sides to stories and one side of facts, last Thursday, you had so many people, including the aforementioned Susan Collins, who is unbelievable today. Who said that, you know what? She was really credible, really credible. Christine Ford, you know, really believable. And, uh, you know, so was Brett Kavanaugh. How many times did you hear that from people? Yeah, you know, they both were. No, they were not. No, they were not. It couldn't be, right? Somebody was lying. Somebody was committing perjury. Someone testifying last Thursday was really, really committing an act of evil. And that person, based on all the information available, is Christine Ford. See, still now, people are treating her with kid gloves, But in this moment where, by a two-vote margin, we are advancing to the final vote tomorrow on Brett Kavanaugh, approximately 5 o'clock Eastern Time, it's also important that Christine Ford, saying that she is 100% certain that Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her, that she is not allowed to just write off into the sunset as though she never made those claims. Now, there's not going to be any accountability. There's no way in the world... The the Senate Judiciary Committee is going to pursue her for perjuring. They should. They should. There should be a full investigation of her. But as long as I have an opportunity to do so, what she did is an act of evil. Christine Ford trying to ruin a man's life, saying she is 100% certain, providing witnesses, none of which corroborate anything she said. It's wrong. That's wrong. And it's important now, when we are confronted with acts of evil in this society, the false accusations by someone like Christine Ford, they are called out for what they are. And she is made to to have to account for what she is, which is a perpetrator, a woman who committed an act of evil. But there's some folks that go, yeah, but she might really be a sexual assault victim. OK, it's po- I'm not saying she isn't possibly a sexual assault victim. Let me ask you. If. You have someone who is a legitimate victim of sexual assault, and they go out and they murder somebody down the line. Are they not accountable for that murder because they were a victim of sexual assault somewhere in their life? They absolutely are held accountable for murder, right? And what was she trying to do to Brett Kavanaugh? I am 100% certain it was Brett Kavanaugh. Was she not trying to effectively ruin that man's life? His family's life. How evil do you have to be to do that? So I don't care if she was a sexual assault victim somewhere along the way. Does not give her the right to do what she did. And it's important, once again, that we don't just write off because Brett Kavanaugh is going to make it through this thing. And ignore people who are perpetrators like Christine Ford. Because there will be others. We end up uh, thwarting the biggest issue we could have had in this country, which is due process just going the way of, uh, I don't know, you know, Chuck Schumer's credibility or the Chicago Cup season. I'm not trying to rub it in, by the way. I'm just pointing out that if I were a leftist in Chicago, I wouldn't show up to vote because, I mean, just why? You know? Not, things aren't going your way right now, and it's, what's the point? But that's where we are. That's where we are. We're on a razor thin edge And if you are someone who believes In right and wrong If you are someone who believes in the constitution If you are someone who believes in the premise Then we all need to acknowledge What happened here And who the perpetrator was And recognize in our own lives Should those people come about That they as well will be called out Be made accountable for who and what they are Now A couple things As we were just getting warmed up. Happy Friday, by the way. It really has been that kind of a week, hasn't it? That kind of couple weeks, kind of three months. I mean, shoot, pretty much only Clarence Thomas and and understand what Kavanaugh has been through. And emotionally, doesn't it almost kind of feel like we were through another election here? This whole Kavanaugh thing? It is a pretty emotional deal because there was so much on the line. By the way, I mentioned I'm Brian Mudd, uh, your South Florida friend. I uh, do a morning show. Uh, my home station WJNO in West Palm Beach. I do a mid-morning show WIOD in Miami, and it's always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Occasionally, you'll catch me on Fox News, guest contributor there. And actually, I'm doing my uh, first work for the BBC next Wednesday, and that'll be interesting. I uh, was interviewing with the the folks of the BBC earlier this week, and uh, the producer so stereotypically British. Perfect English, and everything was brilliant. I mean, I I talked to the guy for probably 25 minutes, and everything was brilliant. Somewhere along the way, I just wanted to say. And uh, you know what? I I don't know that I necessarily like you, just to see if he would say, brilliant. But anyway, uh, we'll see how that goes next Wednesday. Uh, But I want to give you a heads up here on a couple of things. A little bit later in the show, I'm going to be uh, talking about what's at stake with our police. And there is, is a new book that is coming out October 30th. You may pre-order it right now on Amazon. It is by none other than Jack Levin, Mark Stad, Our Police. So go ahead and get your pre-order right now. If I were a lesser person, I would actually direct Alexa to go ahead and do that. But I'm not. So I want you to go ahead and do it for yourself before I go ahead and activate Alexa and make it happen for you. And by the way, coming up uh, Sunday night, 10 o'clock Eastern, a brand-new Life, Liberty, and Levin, and uh, they're going to be talking about the media. And who is they? Well, he has Molly Hemingway on the show, one of my favorites, one of my absolute favorites in journalism today. Uh, so uh, check out that show, Life, Liberty, and Levin. We're just getting warmed up, and uh, we've got a whole lot more to get going on. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mud Levin.
4: The first person to say, I want to hear
3: from Dr. Ford. I thought she was handled respectfully. I thought Kavanaugh was treated like crap. Yeah, well, boo yourself. <laughs> uh, speaking of the uh, folks who uh, stepped up and uh, surprised this week, Lindsey Graham at the Atlantic event in uh, D.C. on Wednesday. Well, boo yourself. After a, It's funny because here you had. Cory Booker, a.k.a. Spartacus, and and he told us he was having his Spartacus moment. And then Lindsey Graham, like, actually was Spartacus at the hearing. And he's continued. It's kind of like Lindsey Graham's, like, the Grinch in a different sense. You know, the Grinch's heart grew three three times that day. Let's say that uh, Lindsey Graham's intestinal fortitude grew three times over the past three months, I believe. And so he's become... A new hero in this entire process. Rock-solid Lindsey Graham. Something else that I don't think many of us necessarily thought would be the case. couple things. I am very much based on information. Uh, The arguments, the information that I provide you, my opinions, all based on information. And one of the things I've been tracking from the word go, the day after Brett Kavanaugh was nominated to the United States Supreme Court, Gallup has always tracked on Supreme Court nominees and you, you may be yay boo, whatever about Gallup. But regardless of what you think of their polling, it's instructive because if they do it every single day ongoing, you can use a baseline to get a temperature check, temperature check of public opinion on any given issue. In this case, our views of Brett Kavanaugh. And what was interesting and in the very first polling done on Brett Kavanaugh after his nomination by President Trump, we had 4% more Americans say that he should be confirmed than not. Okay, so that's the baseline. That's where we started. Now, after we had the first hearing, and we had 20 senators on the Senate Judiciary Committee and Spartacus do what they did, coming out of that, 4% more Americans thought that Brett Kavanaugh should be confirmed than not. In other words, despite the fact that a couple months went by, despite the fact that they... Uh, you know, whipped out Spartacus on them. It didn't change public opinion at all. Not at all. Now, it was interesting because as consistent as that was, we did see with Christine Ford's allegations a bit of a shift. As of Thursday morning, not yesterday, but a week ago, the morning of the hearing, we did see public sentiment, according to Gallup, shift into negative territory on Brett Kavanaugh. We saw public sentiment shift more people believing that he should not be confirmed than should be, again, prior to the testimony, all right? That's after everything that the media and the politicians did to Brett Kavanaugh. Where are we today? That's kind of interesting. By a 46 to 45 margin, Americans believe that Brett Kavanaugh should be confirmed. Now there are two lessons to be learned in this entire process on this information. The first is public opinion, despite all of the emotions, all of the emotions, the all the nonsense from Spartacus to Christine Ford to gang raping, whatever. Public opinion only shifted by seven percent. Seven percent top to bottom. That's it in terms of the opinion. Think about that. Now, what's instructive inside of that seven percent We bounce back to pretty much where this country is. One of the things I find fascinating is when we actually do have representatives in this country that represent us. And in this particular case, the United States Senate is doing pretty much what the American people want to have happen here. By a slim margin, Brett Kavanaugh ended up receiving the necessary votes to advance to the final vote tomorrow and will end up becoming the next Supreme Court justice, on a narrow vote, just as the American people wanted it. So that part, I think, is psychographically interesting. The next facet of this conversation is where to focus your energy. Because how many people are really persuadable politically? One of the most common questions I ever receive has to do with persuading people politically. How do you do it? The easiest way is to tell you how not to do it. Who is it that you are most likely to engage politically? Probably the loudest people in your life that oppose you, right? How does that work out for you? And let me ask you, for the angry leftist that you argue politics with, you ever get anywhere? You just get angry. Do you think they're one of the... Folks, as part of that 7% that was ever persuadable in the first place. Now, I know we wish that we could change their minds, especially if they're in our lives and our universe. But people have to be open-minded first. And coming up next, I'm going to talk about that and how to be persuasive and who can be persuaded and how not to bang your head against the wall and just become really unhappy. I am Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin.
5: Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN.
1: The Mark Levin Show, where we create the talking points.
6: Call in now, 877-381-3811.
4: Mr. President, I will vote to confirm Judge Kavanaugh.
3: And boom goes the dynamite. It was that moment, Susan Collins throwing down the hammer. Who knew? Who knew? By the way, Boom Goes the Dynamite, one of my two all-time favorite YouTube uh, picks. So, you, I mean, this is a must. If you've never done Boom Goes the Dynamite, uh, this is mandatory viewing for your entertainment purposes. Go to YouTube at your, your next available opportunity and uh, check out Boom Goes the Dynamite. Uh, the only other one that's even in competition with that one would be uh, flea market Montgomery. And, uh, you rich, you with me? Y- yes. No. Okay. Okay. Good, good. Just making sure. Just me because I know a, a little bit of a, a generational thing here. I mean, we are talking they're probably like 13 years old, but, uh, yeah, flea market Montgomery, you know, it's mini mall, living rooms, bedrooms, dinettes. Oh yeah. You know, you can find it at the market. I know the saddest thing about flea market Montgomery is that it uh it went down during the recession. That was that was maybe one of the saddest moments during the entire great recession. Anyway, uh now in this great economy we can have new flea market Montgomerys and they'll be uh, they'll be bigger, they'll be beautiful. Uh they will have uh, doors and in the, in the walls. I just Uh by the way, I am Brian Mudd. I And for the uh, great one Mark Levin and uh get to some of your calls here in just a moment. By the way, the the phone lines are not to be confused with the uh The Chuck Schumer sexual assault allegation line, which also has been known to have the exact same phone number. So just uh, please do not share your Chuck Schumer sexual assault allegations on the Mark Levin show. Just take those straight to the FBI, please. Now, um, right before the break, mentioned persuading people how to persuade somebody politically Uh, over the course of my career. It is the single most common question I have received. And the easiest way to tell you how to persuade someone is to tell you who you shouldn't be attempting to persuade. People are closed-minded. If somebody is genuinely not open to information, odds are you're not going to get anywhere. And that's the problem. Most people, and this is true of conservatives too, by the way. It's it's not like this is unique to liberals. There are a lot of closed-minded conservatives too. But you've got to be open to new information. And you need to identify who those people are in your life. You know, I mentioned the Kavanaugh polling from Gallup that start to finish everything that's happened over the past three months, everything public sentiment on Brett Kavanaugh only shifted by seven points the entire time. That's it. In other words, at most, seven percent of this country was even persuadable on Brett Kavanaugh. So what does that tell you? you? Just go to the average person and. That opposes your thought process and expect to get somewhere? No, all you're doing is banging your head against the wall and you're going to make yourself unhappy. So if you want to be persuasive, the first thing, find the right people. People are open to information, not the loudest people who will fight with you politically. And the next thing is credibility. One of the biggest mistakes that people make is by lacking it. Because once you give up your credibility... Why is anybody going to listen to you? So for that reason, operate with facts. Operate with information. If you just operate with opinions, independent of the facts and the information, somebody who is otherwise open to that information, they're just going to view you as someone who is highly political, trying to communicate uh, your, your emotion rather than principle. Because typically what you'll find for those that are, truly persuadable uh, is that they are analytical and that they genuinely are inquisitive and looking for more information. And by the way, this surprises a lot of people, but I find that commonly they're the millennials for a number of reasons. And it starts with the economy. A lot of folks have given up on the millennial generation, which by the way, the youngest millennials are closing in on being legal to drink the youngest ones. Right. The oldest one's like thirty five, thirty six now. And I have not blamed them right along, because when was it that they came of age? They came of age in the Great Recession. Right. So here they went through the education establishment. They were fed a, a bill of whatever the education establishment feeds them. And then they come out and the economy's terrible. And they weren't able to get an opportunity. And so it made sense to them. Yeah. You know what? Capitalism, this economy doesn't work. We need change. You know, Obama probably made sense because, hey, that was what our teachers told us and here we are and things are working. They had never seen a good economy. Never seen a good economy. We finally have it. Right now is one of the most important windows of time. We have two really good opportunities to reach people. Especially younger adults that now do have opportunities. 3.7% unemployment? Are you kidding me? Right? They're getting the wage growth, the bonuses. It's all happening. And it's important to tell them how we got here. And then it's also important in this Kavanaugh situation to articulate what's on the line here. Hey, if somebody that you didn't even know came out and accused you of, say, sexual assault, I mean, that'd be awful, right? Yeah, it'd be pretty bad. Right, I mean that's what happened here, and, and go through informationally rather than just the emotions of yeah, you know, Kavanaugh. Anyway, just a little food for thought. Let's go to Archie in Ventura, California. Archie, go.
7: Ryan, it's it's good to hear about your uh, your history and, and your experience. Uh, that, that tells me why Mark would uh, trust you to do his show. It speaks well of you. And I wanted to say that uh, I listened very carefully to the. Uh, Susan uh, uh, Collins, Senator uh, Collins' dissertation about what happened, and even though I'm a Democrat and I'm in California, I was uh, quite uh, impressed by it. She laid it out very precisely. She was uh, uh, very methodical, started out a little weak, but it went on from there and built. She was diligent, and she showed her diligence all of the time. She spent getting... Coming to her uh, conclusions, all the interviews she did and all all the meetings she went to. And so I found it very edifying and uh, informative. And uh, her stock went up 100% with me.
3: I couldn't agree more. I was frankly shocked at just how detailed, top to bottom, on every single consideration that's part of this process. I mean, she was unbelievable. And point by point by point from the nomination process, pointing out how many organizations were going to oppose, regardless of who the nominee was, that one of the organizations hadn't even filled in the name. And they put out that they were opposing the nominee, mentioned uh, that even senators got out ahead. One of them even got out ahead of the name being announced when they were saying that they were opposed all the way through point by point by point why Christine Ford was not credible in terms of her allegations, even though she did mention that she believed that ultimately she was likely a sexual assault victim, no evidence whatsoever that it was Brett Kavanaugh and her. She could have been the top attorney in the country, the way that she laid out the details as she found them. It was about 50 minutes, 50, 55 minutes, her speech. And I would say that it is a must view. If you missed it, Uh, it is definitely worth catching The entire thing. It was captivating. And again, I have never heard a senator deliver a better speech. Not ever. I didn't agree with absolutely everything she said, but it was principled. It was detailed. It was well thought out. And almost everything there was inarguable. I just absolutely remarkable. Susan Collins. Boom goes the dynamite. Let's go to Jim. Jim in Charlotte. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Brian, thanks. Uh, I just wanted to uh, pretty much echo what the last caller said about uh, my respect and admiration for Senator Collins. I mean, it's increased by 100-fold after listening to her on the Senate floor. About 10 minutes into that, I knew her vote was going to be a yay. And I was thinking I was driving down the road that, you know, the only other thing bigger than what Susan Collins did uh, today was when the 20th Maine – under Joshua Chamberlain, protected the left flank of the Union Army at Gettysburg, on little Roundtop, top, thus preserving the Union. So I really admire her, and I'm glad she did what she did.
3: Well, that's a pretty big moment uh, in history, and I, I agree that this is one for the history books as well. By the way, uh, how are the folks in uh, in North Carolina doing? You guys uh, making it back?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah the skeeters are kind of uh, rampant and big, but uh, uh, as soon as the cold weather gets in down here, I think uh, – I think they
3: should be, like, diminishing a little bit. How are the folks over in Wilmington?
1: Uh, well, I'm over in Charlotte, but uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed over that area, and they, over in they're Jackson, recovering yeah. pretty good. They're recovering pretty good, but Jacksonville, yep. uh, Buellville, those areas, all the water has receded in some of those areas. So uh, I talked to a friend over there. Everything's everything's getting back, hopefully slowly but surely, back to normal.
3: And I appreciate your service. Thank you for listening and uh, sharing your thoughts as well. May God bless you and all the folks there. I lived in Wilmington for a very short time and when saw what was going on and heard that it was an island, uh, pretty unimaginable. Uh, So glad that uh, folks are starting to get it back together after the hurricane in in North Carolina. All right, uh, let's go to Jake. Jake's in California. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Hey, uh, yeah, I uh, I was agreeing with your point about looking up Susan Ford and as far as her allegations are concerned. But I had a little different take on it, not so much. To go after her, but to uh, go after anybody in the future that might think that they can put people up to putting up false allegations and not have to pay a price.
3: Correct. I think that's the single most important thing. And the reason why I'm not willing to just give a pass, even though Kavanaugh is going to clear this thing because he's always going to have this stain that he's going to have to deal with. There's a certain percentage of the population that's not insignificant that is going to believe the allegation regardless, and it's not okay to perjure yourself. These are principles. And again, you know, if we're going to deal with the rule of law, if we're going to deal with the premise, that should be addressed. And we know because of politics, we're not going to see the Senate Judiciary Committee pursue her for perjury, uh, conduct the investigation that would be necessary to travel down that path. But it doesn't mean that it should go unchecked. what she did was absolutely wrong because again, when you say you i'm one hundred percent certain that Britt Kavanaugh sexually assaulted me, and you have none of your uh none of your witness uh or none of the witnesses period that corroborate any of that information I mean that's a problem that's not acceptable in this country. I uh, appreciate you uh you listening and, and checking in coming up, but we'll continue the conversation and also share some of my final thoughts on Brett Kavanaugh on this situation as we get ready for the vote. Uh, now under a day away. It'll be approximately 5 o'clock Eastern time tomorrow because, uh, once again, this whole process has been much bigger than Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. It's become about all of us. We'll talk about it next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin'.
4: On this vote, the yeas are 51, the no's are 49, the motion is agreed to.
3: And there it is. And uh, hey, it's Brian Mudd, Ian for Mark Levin. Happy Friday. I hope uh, you have had a a wonderful day and are getting set for an amazing weekend. It certainly has been an emotional time. And no doubt, uh, we're going to have must-see TV going on about 5 o'clock Eastern time tomorrow as the final vote uh, should take place approximately around that period of time. But at this point... Given that Susan Collins made her speech, made it clear that she is going to be voting uh, to confirm Brett Kavanaugh, and then shortly after that, Joe Manchin, Democrat West Virginia, who is a Republican, and waiting at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's it uh, uh, seems like it's inevitable at, at this point. That Manchin is going to go ahead and make the move, maybe after the election. Uh, but he is uh, he said that he is also on board, so uh, it, it absolutely appears that there are the votes. And in fact, something that interesting that developed out of Alaska. Lisa Murkowski voted no. Republican Lisa Murkowski voted no. She did not want to end debate. And again, if debate did not end today, basically Kavanaugh would have been dead. That would have been it right there. Uh, The procedural vote today, absolutely critical. So with her voting no, uh, you know, she has come under heat from her constituents on the right. And what's interesting uh, when you take a look at that in context is the way it's, They've been going about it, not screaming, not protesting, not people that are chasing her down in elevators. But there have been a lot of folks that have been lighting up her office uh, with phone calls, letting them know how concerned they are. There have been uh, some pretty good pieces put out, including one by the Wall Street Journal that was amazing, pointing out that, hey, you know, if Lisa Murkowski were to have it her way here, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals would be kind of the final say if you end up having basically this split court. And you had significant decisions that would impact Alaskans. The Ninth Circuit rulings, ultimately, if uh, there weren't a, a decisive decision at the Supreme Court, that would stand for all Alaskans. Seems like Lisa might now actually be reconsidering. Uh, let's take a look at the most likely outcome here. Uh, it looks like it might be in that 52-vote range. And uh, it, we might end up there, even though we were 51-49 today. Now, something that I have tried to lean on from a point of optimism throughout this process is the positive that can be gained from all of this. How many people knew how many folks were on the Senate Judiciary Committee until the past couple of weeks? I haven't known many. I mean, even you, an astute listener, somebody who cares and is engaged, did you know that there were 21 members? Well, I mean, okay, so 20 in Spartacus. But did you know how many members of the Senate Judiciary Committee there were? We learned that, right? I mean, it's one small detail. But for many folks, because we don't teach civics in school, this has been an opportunity. And Kavanaugh in particular, uh, that man, what he has been through, and, and having a backbone of steel to see this thing through. Holy cow. Incredible person. Definitely a role model, a role model that we can all point to that's ultimately what I think Brett Kavanaugh's role is, twofold. One, I think he taught history by what he went through during this process and having a whole new generation of people engaged in paying attention. The second thing is, I think we have a new role model that we can point to. One of the big concerns, of course, has been, well, you know, Trump's going to Trump. Donald Trump has been an incredibly effective president of the United States. Not necessarily the best role model, right? But if you want to introduce your kids to somebody that seems to have all the right priorities in the right places, lives the right way, doesn't back down when he's faced with adversity, well, you absolutely can point to Brett Kavanaugh now. How many folks necessarily knew how many Supreme Court justices there were before all this? Yeah, I'm sure you did, but a lot of folks have learned that. A lot of folks have learned about how the Senate actually works. And that's important from a point of civics as well. How deliberative the process is by design. All these procedural votes and everything that's happening now, including the 30-hour window that we're in, as we wait until approximately 5 o'clock tomorrow afternoon for the final vote. You know, There are a lot of things about our government we complain about, a lot of things we don't like, a lot of things that we should be frustrated by. But there are always opportunities, and we're in one of those moments, one of those historical moments that we can look back on, and this could be an opportunity for a generation to learn what they never would have learned and have an opportunity in a time of adversity with leadership to point to somebody who does it the right way and doesn't back down. I'm Brian Mudd. We'll be right back. I'm in for the great one, Mark Levin.
0: Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
4: There has also been considerable focus on the future of abortion rights based on the concern that Judge Kavanaugh would seek to overturn Roe v. Wade. Protecting this right is important to me.
3: But then she said, uh, Susan Collins did, eh, but to hell with it. I'm voting for him anyway. Kidding, kidding, kidding. In fact, um, it was one of the more interesting moments during the course of her 50, 55-minute speech earlier today, which, uh, again, was, I believe, the best, the finest... I have ever witnessed a United States senator delivering. I Just incredible, incredible, definitely something worth your while if you did not catch it early, 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 earlier today. Easy for me to say. By the way, I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, your friend here in South Florida. I do a morning show on WJNO, West Palm Beach, a mid-morning show, WIOD in Miami, and always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Now, one of the things about Susan Collins during the course of her dissertation, you might have found some moments where you're wondering, huh, is Brett Kavanaugh really the conservative I thought he was? Is he really the constitutionalist I I thought he was? I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, that was how good her depiction of Brett Kavanaugh was, how thorough her investigation was. All the folks she interviewed, I mean, she laid it all out there, just remarkable, And, uh, you know, it it might raise some some questions about how he would end up ruling on things like, say, pro-life matters. And there is an important point within the pro-life conversation here as well. Brett Kavanaugh, pretty evident, being the good Catholic boy that he is, he's pro-life, right? But does that necessarily mean that he brings that philosophy to The bench and yeah, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily it hasn't as she pointed out based upon uh, some of what he has rolled on and stated previously. And when we're traveling down this process, you're learning things that you never would have otherwise known about Brett uh, about the level of the investigation that took place with Susan, but also what obviously was not done by so many other senators and this is where it's instructive for you with the folks that are in your neck of the woods. Your senators, how did they vote? I'm here in Florida. Got Marco Rubio. He voted in favor of ending debate today. We'll vote for Brett Kavanaugh tomorrow. Got Bill Nelson. He voted no. And by all accounts, we'll vote no again tomorrow. Now, he happens to be up for reelection this year. He's up against our term limited governor, Rick Scott who has been no less than the third best governor during his seven plus years as governor in the state of Florida. Just remarkable what he's done. Uh, But he's in a a real horse race against Bill Nelson, who's already served three terms in the United States Senate in Florida. It's going to be fascinating to see how this Kavanaugh thing plays out here. But what I'm looking at, and I've had a bunch of people ask me this during the course of the week, and I don't know the answer yet. I'm still trying to figure this out. Is this an inflection point in American history? Everything we're going through right now. So I do these weekly series for my local shows. And it's all about where we are politically based upon historical analysis. And for the midterm elections, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. We tend to be incredibly, incredibly predictable in terms of political swings in this country. The issues change. The politicians change. Times change, but we have been incredibly, incredibly consistent in our decision-making. I'll walk you back real quick to the presidential election 2016. I've done this for years, for years, uh, going back to the 2000 cycle. But it, it was most notable in 2016 when I was able to effectively and accurately depict Donald Trump winning the presidency based upon the Electoral College. And the way I was able to do it based upon historical trends. Simply put, you take a look at history back in uh, 2016. We had a full-term Democrat who was president. There has still, to this point in American history, never been a full-term Democrat who was succeeded by an elected Democrat. Not ever. After eight years, we tend to have enough. The only time it has ever happened that a Democrat succeeded a Full-term Democrat was Truman after FDR. He inherited the office. Yes, he later ran as the incumbent and won. But because of that, we tend to be incredibly consistent. And all during the primary process, especially here in Florida, folks were asking me with Rubio running, you know, isn't Rubio more electable? Trump's winning. This can't be good. This and that. So, look, vote for the person you believe in. Because the odds are the Republican candidate will win. And sure enough, there you go. Now, in the context of midterm elections, you're probably aware that the incumbent president's party loses generally. In fact, there have only been three times, three times since we had the two-party system, which started in the late 1850s, that the incumbent president's party has actually gained seats only three times. And they each happened with an inflection point in American history. The first time, was 1934. FDR was president. We had the Great Depression. The second time, 1998. We had the Bill Clinton botched impeachment effort by Republicans. Flexion point, American history. And then the next one came four years later, 2002, George W. Bush in the wake of 9 11. So it took the Great Depression. 9-11, and the botched impeachment of Clinton to bring about the president's party gaining seats. The average outcome in a midterm cycle is that the president's party will lose four seats in the Senate, 30 seats in the House. If just the average outcome happened this year, Democrats regain control of everything. Now, there's no chance whatsoever that Democrats will gain four seats. There's a better chance at this point that Republicans gain four seats than Democrats do. And Republicans are almost certainly at this point going to retain control of the Senate. Matt's favorable for them. Heidi Heitkamp has pretty much done herself in in North Dakota. She voted no today. And what we have seen ever since she indicated that she was likely to be a no vote, about 10 points. About 10 points worth of difference in her race in North Dakota. And she was already in danger there. Claire McCaskill, Missouri, voted no. She already was trailing slightly in the polls. Likely to end up being a big-time issue for her. And then Joe Donnelly in Indiana, same deal, voted no. These are all big Trump states. Then you did have Joe Manchin in West Virginia that voted yes. Joe Manchin, by the way, is almost certainly going to be reelected I'm back at this. Again, when I've been taking a look informationally at how much this vote meant in those particular states, an average of about 10 points, yay or nay, because those are pro-Trump pro-Kavanaugh states. So the Senate, almost certainly going to stay. But still, the House, you take a look, and if you check any of the polls, you check the sites, you take a look at everything right now, does not look good for Republicans. It looks like Republicans are pacing somewhere in the neighborhood of about 30 losses, which would be enough for Democrats to take control of the House. But I continually have people say that they just don't see that happening. They don't see it happening. They don't see it happening. And my question is, And this is what I'm working on, because, again, I base everything off of information. Are we at an inflection point in American history? Is this number four? Is Donald Trump as a catalyst, just him being the disruptor as president of the United States? Then this Kavanaugh situation, is that analogous to what we went through in any of those other examples? Not the Great Depression. Not after 9-11. But if you're looking for a comp, you absolutely could point to 1998, right? There are so many similarities right now. Booming economy that's what's going on right now. In fact, our unemployment rate is much lower than it was in 1998. And you have the president. Well, he's not as popular as Bill Clinton. But then again, he actually isn't specifically the issue here. Except that they've made him the issue, right? We've had the Mueller investigation. We've had the Get Trump effort since before he even took office. That would certainly, though it hasn't risen to the level of impeachment yet, because Democrats are not in control of the House, that could be analogous. You throw Kavanaugh in the mix, maybe that is too. So this is all something that I'm working on right now. Is there a chance that Republicans really might gain in Congress this year? Is this that moment in time, that inflection point in American history, where things are different? Historically, 92% chance that Democrats win more seats than not this year. But there's an 8% chance that they don't for a reason. Are we in that window? We'll continue that conversation coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for The Great One. Mud
6: Lovin'.
3: to be a part of that movement is all i'm saying i mean come on i mean those are the the kind of people that you want to be spending some quality time with Whew, man well you were out having a life today that was going on the uh, paid protesters they're uh Heckling uh, and, and harassing Joe Manchin, who is a yes. Joe Manchin, the Republican in waiting. what wonder if that is going to happen. I have no idea. But uh, Joe Manchin, of course, has been the most moderate Democrat in the Senate. Mentioned after the 2016 election that he would consider consider the uh, party flip. The governor, the Democratic governor of West Virginia, did flip. So the question is, uh, is Manchin next? Maybe he wins re-election here and, and he goes ahead and, and does the flippy thing. But uh, all right, so I was mentioning in the previous segment there's the potential that we could be at an inflection point in American history. One in which the norms don't apply. Donald Trump being president of the United States, not your typical president and the movement that he led in 2016, not your typical movement, What just happened with Brett Kavanaugh. That could certainly aid the argument that we're in this inflection point, that things are different. This is not your typical midterm election cycle. I'm going to provide a little more, Fuel for that fire if you want to embrace it. Something I've never seen. And again, I'm a student of history and I'm a student of information. And the point age began in the 1930s. So we have information about what we've been interested in, what we've been into for midterm elections since the late 1930s. All right. Never once, not ever, has the most important issue to the average voter been... The United States Supreme Court. It's come up really high in presidential elections. It was the number three issue on Election Day. Number three issue on Election Day 2016. But it's number one. Number one right now. According to uh, the Pew Research Center. 76% of Americans. Say that the Supreme Court will be on their mind. When they go to vote. However. They're impassioned to vote. Now. We are still just over a month away from Election Day. People are fickle. Things can change. Kavanaugh gets confirmed tomorrow. Maybe the level of priority comes down because it's been taken off the table. I guess we can see, Or maybe people are still that motivated by it because, hey, we could have other Supreme Court justices that come up here over the next couple of years, right? That remains to be seen. But we are seeing right now. And some of the internal data that's available, what's driving us that's different than ever before? You have the Supreme Court, I mentioned, and then it goes to healthcare. Okay, so after that, which, by the way, does that change the dynamic at all? So we're in this window of time that is different. And anytime that politics, the people are different, the outcomes absolutely have the potential to be too. So as we are now just over a month away from Election Day, you take a look at how many elections are out there that could have the outcomes changed by 7%. 7%. And that is the potential for what could happen if there were a red wave that came out of this. Right now, if you had 7% that moved because of President Trump, because of the economy, because of the progress for made, because they are tired of what's going on in this country, because of backlash about Brett Kavanaugh. And you go, why 7%? In the first hour, I mentioned that in this entire Kavanaugh process, entire process from the day after he was nominated until today, 7% movement top to bottom in terms of public opinion on whether or not we should confirm Brett Kavanaugh. that That is really what we're looking at here. Those are the people that are persuadable. But 7% encompasses a bunch of elections across this country. Usually voter enthusiasm is exaggerated because only 64% of eligible adults are even registered to vote in the first place. And when you take a midterm elections, well, I mean, typically you have around 40% that actually show up to vote. So we do tend to often bake a bit too much into voter enthusiasm, this and that, but it absolutely has the potential in this type of an environment to make the difference, which is why it's absolutely critical. You want to make a difference. You get your butt out there and you vote, but you find those 7%. You use this potential inflection point in American history and you get out there and you try to make a difference because we do have a different landscape. It's not all there in the polling, in the the top-level numbers that are discussed yet. But it has the potential to be, and we're a little more than a month away. So that is what you're in store for. You get out there and make a difference if you're inclined. Unlike those angry people that were uh, paid and and shouting at Joe Manchin, it's going to win any hearts and minds. At least I don't think it's going to win any hearts and minds. There is this window of opportunity, a moment in time, potential inflection point, Issues that matter more, that never mattered before in midterm election cycles. So what are you going to do with it? And uh, by the way, I want to give you a heads up on something that uh, you definitely, definitely should go ahead and hit on your DVR. If you don't already have it, life, liberty, and live in. 10 Eastern, Fox News Channel, Sunday night. Going to talk about the media and one of my all-time faves. Best in uh, the business, in my opinion, Molly Hemingway from The Federalist is going to be one of the guests on the show life liberty levin sunday night 10 o'clock eastern fox news channel all right coming up we're going to continue this conversation get some of your thoughts as well is this an inflection point i'm brian mudd and for the great one mark levin
5: 833 Ring BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code Levin. That's brickhouse, L-E-V-I-N dot com or call 833 Ring B-H-N promo code Levin.
1: To defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811.
4: I met with Judge Kavanaugh for more than two hours in my office. I listened carefully to the testimony at the committee hearings. I spoke with people who knew him personally, such as Condoleezza Rice and many others.
3: Don't let the uh, approach and lack of enthusiasm in her voice fool you. Susan Collins had her finest moment. In fact, and I'm still shocked by it, the finest moment I think any United States senator has had, at least that I have witnessed, uh, still almost beyond belief. Uh, If you did not catch Susan Collins, her speech earlier today, it is definitely a must uh, listen and watch. So uh, take it in for sure. Uh, she really ended up uh, laying it down. And uh, want to get some of your thoughts. Let's go to Nettie in Anchorage, Alaska. And uh, Nettie, I understand that uh, you're, uh, you're a little higher on Lindsay than on Susan at this point.
4: Well, just from the standpoint, Brian, of... A senatorial moment, because I think what Lindsay did last week, it wasn't on the floor of the Senate, didn't have all the trappings, but Lindsay made those other members on that Judiciary Committee eat, it, eat their spinach. Okay. He told them exactly what they needed to hear. I don't think they paid any attention to it. But he took a stand in the heat of battle. He didn't wait to see which way the wind was blowing. That's kind of the way I look at it, and I think... And I'm going to say that um, the the never-Trumpers, which Susan Collins was one, Lisa Murkowski was one, and Jeff Flake was one, I think that they have seen the attendance at Trump's rallies. These He's been, he had four or five. I've lost count. He's like the Energizer bunny. <laughs> I think they see the em, enthusiasm in those rallies when President Trump would mention Kavanaugh's name. I, I'm sure you heard that, too. Um And so just uh, I applaud Susan Collins for her speech today, but I really wanted to say how much I admire Lindsey Graham for really having the fortitude there to really say what needed to be said to those members of that Judiciary Committee that were acting. Uh, well, they they all had their Spartacus moment,
3: I think. <laughs> <laughs> but but actually something you could be proud of. <laughs> but, you know, I would agree with you. It was uh, probably Lindsey Graham's finest moment as well. Uh, you talk about uh, the 5 o'clock hour, 5 o'clock approximately Eastern time tomorrow. We're going to have this vote. And uh, it was approximately 5 o'clock Eastern time that Lindsey Graham, a week ago yesterday, ended up uh, having that particular moment where he's fed up now. Respectfully, I'm going to disagree with you just in terms of him influencing, in this particular case, Susan Collins. She was so principled and detailed as she laid out. I don't think there was anything that she was going to be swayed by by virtue of simply the pragmatic yet emotional plea of Lindsey Graham. Uh, But uh, but ultimately, I'm not going to take anything away from him. It really was a pretty incredible moment. But speaking of Lisa Murkowski, I'm interested to get your take, uh, given that you are in Alaska so she voted no today. The heat is being put on her. Ultimately, what are the implications in Alaska? Does she have a chance uh, to uh, to win her next election if she ends up going down this path?
4: Well, I I wish I knew the exact answer to that, Brian. Judging from the uh, very popular radio show in the afternoon from three to six up here, I listen most every day, and believe me, the people. I can't remember very many calls, maybe one hand for, for Lisa. All the other calls have been, um, um, we hope she votes for a, uh, Kavanaugh.
3: <laughs> okay, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I actually think there's an outside chance that she ends up becoming a, a vote in the affirmative tomorrow. Uh, I know that uh, earlier today, uh, in addition to her voting no to end debate, She also indicated that he wasn't the right person at the right time for this country. But then she walked back those comments later in the afternoon after she started getting some of the response in. So uh, she'll be an interesting one to watch tomorrow, although it should likely be a formality, which gives her cover, by the way, because uh, you can go ahead and your Lisa Murkowski and and vote in the affirmative because it's not going to alter the outcome uh, almost certainly tomorrow. All right, let's go to Dan. Dan is in Clearwater, Florida. Dan, welcome to the show.
8: Hey, thank you.
7: Yes, sir. Hey, um, I was watching and listening to uh, Senator Collins' speech today, and at first I was I was stunned. I was amazed. I was impressed. And then part way into her speech, I started going, this is damage control. And I started going, wow. I mean, the American public, and um, importantly to the Democrats, the independents are getting angry. And they need to lessen the damage, and they need to run damage control. They need to lessen the damage to them. That's what I saw. I think that actually her her speech was scripted. She did not speak like the, her text was written. So I don't, I don't think that that was genuine. I, I think that they were really running damage control and trying to, you know, take the anger directed that they righteously have towards them and lessen it.
3: Where I, I can't necessarily go along with that, the level of detail, starting from the very moment – uh, that she depicted what happened at the time of the nomination. It, 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 she detailed and chronicled every everything that she thought ran afoul. And I don't know that she would have had that level of detail if she were just trying to rally here in the 11th hour to try to save face for the moderates in the Senate. I, I got the sense that what took place today was truly principled and, and really was something that she was that serious about every step of the way and, and throughout the process, including, as she pointed out, with all of her other previous votes. So I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm just not in on the conspiracy thought process that Susan Collins, it was not on the up and up. I, I really uh, got the sense that uh, she was sincere and genuine throughout her speech. Let's go to Raj. Raj is in Virginia. Welcome to the show.
8: Hello. Thank you so much. I do so appreciate Your very strong emphasis on the inflection points. I believe we are at an inflection point, but not just in the political arena, even the financial arena, even the health arena, where the rate of change of the curvature is increasing. And those are all the trends, and I'm looking at a strong red wave. On the other point you mentioned about our knowing more about our political system, it has to do with what's happening locally in D.C. Few people know that the two at-large seats are to be held by the opposing party. So both have to be Republicans. And that's why the at-large seats in the D.C. council elections are so important. So thank you very much for all that you've said, for, and I agree wholeheartedly
3: with you. I'm guessing that you're as big of a dork as I am. Are you an analyst?
8: (laughs) I have been an engineer all my life.
3: Okay. I had a feeling that it was somebody who was uh, of a a similar type of thought process. Anyway, I am not an engineer, though, not by a long shot. I can't even change a tire effectively. Just ask my dad about that one. Uh, It was... (laughs) <laughs> that that was one of the moments where I m- my background is in financial analysis and, and business outside of radio. I've been doing this for 21 years. Love what I do, uh, but uh, but yeah, I kind of worked parallel paths that way. And uh, what I ended ended up doing is taking financial analytics and various different algorithms and, and formulas and figuring out that hey, if we have history, we have information. We can do a lot of different things uh, in in life with them uh, beyond just uh, financial markets, for example. So anyway, uh, good stuff. Appreciate it, Raj. Let's go to Phil. Phil is in Vegas. Welcome to the show.
0: Good afternoon. You know, the two things that, that I took away from that when I was watching everything, this whole, whole process with my wife, the first thing <clears throat> when we saw the doctor giving her testimony, we felt sorry for her. We really felt that she was emotionally disturbed. And there, we thought there was probably a whole plethora of, of reasons for that. You know, obviously, so sexual molestation may have been one of them. But, but we felt pity. We didn't feel anger, and I have no animus towards the woman. But I think the biggest takeaway on this was the debauchery that the, the Democrats ex- exposed themselves to the process that they would go to to prevent something that was normal within, you know, the process of the government. And there should be some recompense from these attorneys who were directed to her by Diane Feinstein who had animus towards President Trump and hid things from her, like her being able to be interviewed in California or wherever she wanted. This is the thing that needs to change within the Judiciary Committee, the procedures and the penalties, not for necessarily innocent victims like Dr. Ford, who I really think she is, but the people who were behind that and directing it and in corrupting our government. And I'm angry because I don't see anything on any news show talking about how the wrong people are going to be punished.
3: I'm going That's to agree with I agree with 75% of your point here. I, I do want to uh, ask you specifically, you, you say that uh, you're not angry at at Christine Ford here. Do you feel that uh she did anything wrong by going under oath and and involving herself in this process saying that she was 100% certain that Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her?
0: Well, here's what we don't know. We don't know what was said in her um, sessions, her therapy sessions. I don't know that some therapist or some lawyer may have talked her into it. You know, when, when you're that exposed and you're that vulnerable, memories can be created all over the place. I've been reading all kinds of articles about that. So I've, I don't know enough about the woman to be angry. What I know enough is that she, I can see that she was used by people who did know enough. I mean, if, if it was really that big of a problem, Diane Feinstein would have brought it out day one. She knew that that wasn't provable in court, and she knew that the longer she waited, the bigger political bang she was going to get out of it. And putting the the attorneys who hated Trump to begin with in in charge of it, she knew that it was a no-lose situation.
3: Hmm. what What did she calculate wrong? It's interesting. Uh, you, you bring up a lot of compelling and interesting points. I still can't get there in in terms of her having necessarily been coerced into this mindset. Remember, she's a professional in the field. Uh, I mean, uh, after all, I mean, as part of her credibility, she was telling us about how uh, you know emotions are are stored and and memories are stored in the hippocampus. Was that the only one, by the way, when she pulled that out? That went seriously. This is how you're attempting to establish your credibility as a witness. Uh, it was one of those moments to where it's like. Okay, (laughs) you see what part of her tactic is here. Uh, But but anyway, um, you know, I I still feel she's accountable. You you go under oath. You're you're involved in this process. You say you're 100 percent certain you provide all of these witnesses. And the thing that's odd, too, if she was going to end up being coerced by, you know, some uh, psychologist that uh, these are the memories that you really had. Where would she have received all those names that she provided as the witnesses? I mean, that's difficult for somebody who is a third party that wouldn't have been involved uh, in uh, that process to to instill in her. I, I just can't quite get there. But otherwise, very compelling and uh, interesting thought. All right. Uh, I am Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mudd Lovin.
1: of left-wing dark money groups and their allies in this body have shamed us all. The fix was in from the very beginning, before the ink was even dry on the nomination. The minority leader announced that he would oppose Judge Kavanaugh's nomination with everything he's got.
3: The spry, Chuck Grassley, everybody. Who oh, no. know? Oh, it's been full of surprises here the past couple of weeks. Yeah, Lindsey Graham, the the rock solid pillar of constitutional conservative principles. You, you've got Susan Collins laying down the hammer, and Chuck Grassley. He's got juice. I mean, who? And then you got McConnell. By the way, good old McConnell. He has an amazing way of just annoying the crap out of you for months, occasionally years. And you just want to like what? What is it that we need to do to talk you into retirement, Mr. McConnell? That's where we end up. But but then he has those moments, like once every couple of years, it's like, and that was amazing. All this week, single most important person to watch, Mitch McConnell. Every step of the way, he did what he needed to do. I just remind, and and he's gonna get it, get the vote huh? I mean, so. Anyway, uh, you know, some faith-restoring moments for folks who are on the right that take a look at the party and go, wow, a lot of these people suck. They still might, but uh, nevertheless, they have had, many of them, very strong moments here of late. Now, in South Florida, uh, something happened yesterday that uh, became national news. We have a a way of exporting a lot of stupidity uh, here in South Florida. I'm Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin, and uh, I'm in West Palm Beach. Now, this happened in Boca, which is the uh, city that is further south in Palm Beach County yesterday, and the Palm Beach Post was covering this. And as soon as they did, wow, this crowd, as they put it, of retirees in Boca, which, by the way, if it was 50 people, 50, that's being generous. But anyway, speaking to a crowd of retirees in Boca Raton, John Paul Stevens Thursday said that high court nominee Judge Brett M. Kavanaugh who Stevens once lauded in one of his books, does not belong on the Supreme Court. Stevens, a lifelong Republican who is known for falling on the liberal side of judicial rulings. Gee, you think? You think? (laughs) Praise Kavanaugh in one of his rulings in one of his books, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, here's the deal. I do credit the Palm Beach Post, by the way, for at least being somewhat honest by saying that he is known to fall on the liberal side of things. Let me give you an idea. The media sucks in this country, all right? And uh, I don't have to tell you that. But it, it is really easy to informationally and empirically tell you who and what John Paul Stevens is because anytime you can find a Republican, in this case, a lifelong Republican, let me give you an idea about John Paul Stevens, former Supreme Court Justice. He is to the Republican Party. What Stephen Breyer is to, to the Republican Party, you go Stephen Breyer, isn't that a liberal from San Francisco on the court? Yes, bingo, Stephen Breyer. Know why? Because a uh, handy-dandy little check of the Washington University School of Law Supreme Court database went back and compared the voting records of one John Paul Stevens, two other Supreme Court justices he served with. Guess who he broke with most commonly? You guessed it, Stephen Breyer. Huh, imagine that. And I can even put a number to it. You ready? John Paul Stevens, the lifelong Republican Supreme Court Justice, who said that Brett Kavanaugh should not be on the court, on partisan split decisions during his time as a Supreme Court Justice, he was 79% liberal, 21% conservative. And again, to give you an idea, Stephen Breyer. Exact same split. In fact, went one step further. Want to know how liberal John Paul Stevens, who does not believe that Brett Kavanaugh should be on the Supreme Court? How conservative this guy really is? If you compare voting records in the United States Senate right now on partisan splits, there are 40 U.S. senators, 40, that are more conservative than are Democrats. Than John Paul Stevens was as the Supreme Court justice. I just thought that was interesting. You know, two sides to stories, one side of facts, that kind of thing. Numbers are fun, and I wish more people actually did their job. The media. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin.
6: He's
1: here. He's here.
0: Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader,
9: Mike Levin. They tried to damage uh,
0: a man's reputation who's had really a stellar, stellar career, and so I think Americans look at that and they say, "Well, gee." If they can drag someone like Kavanaugh through the mud, you know, who's done so much and has been so well regarded by so many people for 30 years, then who the hell else could they not drag through the mud?
3: Bingo. And that's what I've been talking about right along. In fact, when I was last with you, we could go Tuesday. That was the entire premise of what I was sharing during the course of the show. This entire Kavanaugh thing was not about the Supreme court. It was not about Brett Kavanaugh. It was about all of us because if they could take down Brett Kavanaugh, With an accusation or accusations without any evidence. Without any evidence. And we just presume if we don't like you, you're guilty. We're all screwed. We're all screwed. I mean, that is the end of the story. And so the single most important thing that has happened here is not that Brett Kavanaugh is about to be uh, approved for the Supreme Court of the United States. The single most important thing is that the presumption of guilt wasn't accepted here. That was far more important. And again, it's a razor-thin margin we're riding on right now. We were that close, that close, two votes today, to the presumption of guilt being the new way that we do things here in this country. And could you imagine, could you imagine how emboldened people would be? Not just towards politicians, but again, if somebody got sideways with you at work, somebody got sideways with your kids at school, I mean, that's what's at stake here, so much more. Hey, it's Brian Mudd. I uh, am your friend here in South Florida. I uh, do a morning show in uh, West Palm Beach, WJNO. I do a mid-morning show, WIOD in Miami. And it is always an honor and a pleasure to be able to uh, pinch it and and fill in for the great one, Mark Levin. By the way, the audio there that you just heard, that was Ron DeSantis, Republican gubernatorial candidate. And uh, my buddy from Fox News Radio, Evan Brown, one of the best in the business, caught up with uh, Ron earlier today and, and sent me that clip. It is uh, about so much more, as Ron correctly pointed out. There's something else involving Ron DeSantis, and this is something that played out around the state yesterday, but it's something that is a bigger issue for everybody, for everybody. Mark's dad, Jack Levin, got a new book, Our Police. Beautiful book. And it's uh, illustrated, it's perfect for your kids, grandkids. Our Police, go ahead and, and do the pre-order. You can do it on Amazon. And if you don't do it, by the end of the show, I am bound to activate Alexa and, and make Alexa do it for you. So, Our Police by Jack Levin. What's going on uh, with the police in this country? And and yeah, I, I know what happened in Illinois today. And, and my, my dad always said that there are few people worse than a bad cup the few people you'll ever find that are better than good cops, and we have hundreds of thousands of good cops every day that go to work that make it happen, and that have to deal with the crap that is thrown their way by our media and by so many that want to use them for political purposes. And you you think about it. We go to work every day, and we think about oh we got to deal with the boss oh we got this meeting. Those are our big problems. When you're a cop and you put on that badge and you can go to work, what are their biggest problems? We have the luxury of thinking, man, I really don't want to go to this meeting today because they put on their badge and they put their lives on the line. That is what's on the line here in this country. And look at all the attention that a bad cop that's convicted gets. But what you don't hear about folks that sacrifice everything. And there's something that happened here yesterday. That crystallizes this perfectly for the entire country. Now, the Sun Sentinel, to give you an idea uh, of just, in the grand scheme of awful, where they stand, one of their uh, major endorsements today was the glowing endorsement of Debbie Wasserman Schultz. So on the grand scheme of, of, of sucking, they are all the way there. Okay, They're the people that hold the bag, that, that make the case for Debbie Wasserman Schultz. So it is the consider the source thing, but I want to illustrate some points here. This is an excerpt from an article yesterday. Police union endorses Republican Ron DeSantis for governor four years after endorsing Democrat. All right. little excerpt from the story. A major union for police officers, the Florida Police Benevolent Association, is endorsing Republican Ron DeSantis for governor. Four years ago, the Florida PBA endorsed the Democratic nominee for governor, Charlie Crist. Anyway, a lot of people, Charlie Crist. Charlie Crist uh, literally has been everything politically in, in our state, if you're not familiar. He currently is a Democrat that is uh, serving out of the St. Pete area. But uh, anyway, once upon a time, uh, he actually was a Republican governor in, in Florida. Rubio ran him out of the party. That's what happened. Anyway, um, Continuing. In Wednesday's endorsement of DeSantis, the PBA president said DeSantis would be the kind of governor who would stand up for what he asserted are unfair efforts to malign police. Quote, the men and women of law enforcement want to tell Floridians that Ron DeSantis has our backs. That's why I'm proud to announce that we have his back, said the Florida PBA president. In his endorsement of DeSantis... He asserted that police have been treated unfairly in recent years. It's another quote from the president of the Florida Police Benevolent Association. As we've seen in the past few years, police have been scrutinized for doing their job and kicked to the curb by special interest groups, media, and politicians, which have resulted in the rise of law enforcement officers being killed or assaulted in the line of duty, he said. And the, my blood boil, boils here, but the, the whatever you want to refer to, this poser that pretends to be an objective journalist that wrote this garbage for the Sun Sentinel, he ended the article with this. He didn't offer examples of how scrutiny of police has resulted in police being killed or assaulted. I had to calm myself down. My morning show yesterday... I think at one point I was actually yelling. I had a mother said there are children in the car. But you know what? This is that big of a deal. Because if we don't have good cops, what happens in this country? It's game over. It's game over. And part of what made me so upset, I noticed what was going on. Not long after the whole Kaepernick thing broke. I was taking a look and, and I was tracking violence towards police officers. Remember... Before the whole Kaepernick thing, even you had the Dallas Cowboys and they wanted to honor you know, the, the cops that were murdered, the NFL wouldn't let them and all that. And I started being more aware of what was happening to police officers in this country. And I noticed that there had been escalating violence. And I actually started a weekly series that I do here in South Florida that tracks the violence against police officers. And here you have someone posing as a journalist Who has the audacity to say he didn't offer examples of how scrutiny of police has resulted in police being killed or assaulted. Well, I got it for you. You might suck at what you do. Might not do any homework. Might not want to because it would disprove the nonsense narrative that you advanced. But here's what's real. In the story, remember, this is the Florida Police Benevolent Association. Ain't about politics, is it? They endorsed the Democrat four years ago for governor. They're endorsing Ron DeSantis, the Republican, this year. So obviously, it's because it matters more now, right? Now, let me fill in the blanks here. Since 2015, 573 police officers died in the line of duty. 573. Since they last made a a political endorsement of those 573 officers, 340 were killed, 340 killed. And until this week, we had, and, and this is the audacity of this person writing this article in Florida about the Florida Police Benevolent Association, we had more officers die in line of duty in Florida than any other state in the country. But this is how bad it is. And yes, this is specific to Florida. But this is what's going on across the country. And he has the audacity that he didn't offer examples of how scrutiny of police has resulted in police being killed or assaulted. Now, ironically, it is exactly, exactly what the president of the Florida Police Benevolent Association was saying when he made the endorsement. We've been kicked to the curb by special interest groups, by media by politicians. And it's exactly why I started the series that I did a couple of years ago. And in the grand scheme of choosing sides, we've now been put in that position. Yeah, every now and then you're gonna have a bad cop. Get a hun- get hundreds of thousands of people from any background in any profession together and tell me you're not gonna find a bad apple. But almost every one of them, good people that put their lives on the line every single day for us. And it is our responsibility now more than ever to back the badge and spread the word. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. We have this kind of crap that's going on in media. If we don't have good folks the want to be police officers that put on the badge, that leave their families. And by the way. Just this year, we've had 70 widows, 70 widows, 70 people that have lost their spouse in the line of duty. We've had more than 100 children that have lost a parent in the line of duty. Stories that are never told. But if we don't have great folks to pick up that badge, to put it on, to fill that hole, that fill that void... The rest of it doesn't matter. And that's the other way the left is systematically chewing through our society. So support your police. Back them. It's about a hell of a lot more than politics. I'm Brian Mudd. In for the great one. Mudd Lovin.
10: You
1: will be placed This is your
3: women to women.
2: women.
3: Oh yeah. By the way, that's just some of what police have to deal with. Just talking about the importance of supporting our police because of what it goes on out there. That's the kind of crap they were dealing with today in the Capitol, as you had the, the protesters. I mean, and again, from a political movement standpoint, who doesn't want to be part of that? It's what I just leave ideology by the wayside for a moment. One of the things I've never been able to get my brain around, how, especially young people go, yeah, those people make a lot of sense. You know what? I should be doing. I should be part of that. Now, let's be real for a moment. A lot of the, those folks in DC are, are pr- pros. They're paid. These are folks who don't have lives. The rest of us, we go to work, we have lives, and, and we, uh, you know, we go about our business later in the day. And we go, "Oh, okay, that's what the losers are up to today." Yes, those are what the losers were up to today. The losers that go out there and they get paid, and in many cases, they end up getting paid more if they're willing to get arrested. So, yes, they they, they are those people. But nevertheless. Just in terms of winning hearts and minds, it's fascinating. Now, last uh, segment was talking about police, talking about law enforcement. And we've had, obviously, this immigration debate that's gone on forever. And uh, seemingly no resolution in sight. But the other um, aspect of that conversation that often is overlooked, refugees. And I have long had my focus on refugees. For a couple reasons. One is principle. And the other, the implications of refugees. Now, a lot was made, though it wasn't big in the news cycle, because obviously we know what the news cycle has been. But a lot was made that we ended up having the fewest refugees in decades, at least since 1975, according to the State Department. Oh, my gosh. We're not importing you know, even more people uh, into the United States and paying for all that to happen, uh, according to... PBS, at the end of August, only 19,899 refugees had been brought in over the prior 11 months compared to 45,000 that were anticipated. Oh my gosh, and that was a bad thing, right? And then they went on to talk about how we're only anticipating 30,000 being brought in next year. Oh my gosh, that's just terrible. Now, here's what is often not discussed. The implications. The implications. When are we going to be compassionate to Americans before we try to be compassionate to the rest of the world? Here's the way this works, what you're not told. We as taxpayers pay to bring the refugees into the United States. The average cost tends to be around $14,000 per refugee. And according to the Center for Immigration Studies, the typical immigrant, guess what happens when they get here? Well, they live on government assistance for a minimum of five years. And the average five-year cost per refugee... $64,370. Sixty-four thousand three hundred and seventy bucks. Now, you ready to hear how much it costs to relocate a refugee into a safe zone? If we get involved, a thousand fifty-seven bucks. So we could actually relocate approximately sixty-four refugees into safe zones without importing them into the United States. And by the way, ninety-one percent of refugees we bring into the United States end up on food stamps. And 68% also end up receiving ongoing welfare, other programs made available. Now, how compassionate is that? Today, we found out that we have the lowest unemployment rate in many decades, 3.7%. How is it that we've made progress with those that have been long-term unemployed, those that had the toughest time, those that were not as educated, that weren't skilled? How have we made improvement in young unemployment? Anybody ever think that maybe cracking down on illegal immigration and not bringing in refugees to compete for entry-level work might make a difference? Something that's never discussed. Back on June 7th of last year, I actually made the case for how it could happen. And we have seen over the past year plus exactly that. Is it anywhere near the entire reason? No. But it absolutely is part of the reason. People automatically suggest that we have a responsibility at that kind of cost to import people in to compete against the most vulnerable in our society? If you really cared about the most vulnerable in society, you'd give them the opportunities. That's what Donald Trump has been doing, his policies. Once again, omission is the most pervasive form of bias in the media. Two sides to stories, one side to facts. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin.
1: On the straight and narrow path, you have a guide, Mark Levin. Call him now at 877 381 Three eight one one. Ultimately, the existing evidence, including the statements of three alleged eyewitnesses named by Dr. Ford, refuted Dr. Ford's version of the facts.
3: The spunky Chuck Grassley—he had some juice left. I mean, I can't be the only one who thought during the uh, Ford Cavanaugh hearing eight days ago that uh, the ship had sailed. There are plenty of moments where you're always wondering: Is he awake? You're right there, Chuck. But no, I mean, he he rose to the occasion this week. I mean, he he does have some juice in the tank. Susan Collins, I mean, who would have thought? Boom, she lays down the hammer. Lindsey Graham might actually be Spartacus. I I mean, it's been an, an impressive showing by some of the maybe least likely suspects in the Republican ranks. All right, uh, get to some of your thoughts here. Uh, earlier this hour, talking about police, the importance of supporting them now more than ever, given everything that they face in terms of danger in our society, along with a media and politicians that are complicit in basically playing politics against their interest. often. Um, we have Brian from Greensboro. Brian, uh, retired cop. Go.
9: Hey, bud. How's it going this evening, bud? All good, man. Good, good. Uh, yeah, so I started law enforcement in 2010, and just recently got out uh, back in June. I decided to open my own business, and the main one of my main reasons for it was because of the uh, the hostility towards police across the nation in general. Uh, Give, me me of- Give me an idea.
3: Give me an idea. Some of what you came across in the field.
9: Uh, I, I dealt with antifa. Um, whenever they came after the confederates uh, statues down in uh, in, Gra- in graham north carolina i uh, dealt with iww from Durham uh, at the same rally um you know i've dealt with uh, people look at you and flip you off or just say f you because you're a police officer um i've been i've been working when uh, other officers have been killed in the line of duty
3: uh, and, and what is the response in the media? What do you get in terms of what you see with politicians, what you hear in the media, compared to what you lived?
2: It, it, you know, you
9: see the hostility in, on the media. They, that's all they portray. They just portray the the, the bad cops. The cops, that are always doing something bad. But you know, I worked with a lot of good police officers, just like you were talking about, that did – the best that they could with the circumstances that you know they were in now in this day and time and they still treated people with respect and dignity just like they should be treated even when they weren't being treated that way themselves
3: I appreciate it, Brian. I uh, appreciate your service. Sorry that uh, you, you end up leaving because of the circumstances. Best wishes to you and your business gives you a bit of an idea. He actually reminded me. I end up hearing from uh, one of my buddies a couple weeks ago. have a lot of police officers that, uh, that I keep up with. And one of them uh, shared a story uh, just recently. There was a uh, there was a family in uh, Sudan. Two kids, husband, wife, and uh, African American, white police officer. They ran a red light, and uh, he said he was going to give them a warning. They clearly ran it, but didn't end up being dangerous. He was simply going to pull them over and warn them. So he, he pulls them over, he approaches the car, and not only is the driver, the father, cussing at him. Kids, which he estimated to be maybe around 10, 11 years old, were flipping them off and cussing at them too. Now, these other are stories aren't told, Not politically correct. Stuff like this happens every day, all the time. You have folks that put their lives on the line all the time. National news everywhere. Big deal what happened with the bad cop in Illinois convicted today. Well, you don't hear the four cops that have been killed in the line of duty over the past week. And their families. The widows. Kids without fathers. That's what's real. And if not for us, then, then who's it going to be? So I say again, not every cop is a good one. But out of hundreds of thousands of Almost all of them are. And God bless them, because if not for them, where are any of us? Where are any of us? And uh, let's see, I, I believe we're actually getting Ian right now on the line, another police officer. I'll go ahead and go right to you. You get to the front of the line because you're another, another police officer. want to hear from you. Ian, go. Uh, it's, how are you tonight? Hey, doing well. Fantastic. No, I just wanted to comment that I have to agree with all you're saying. I've been in law enforcement now for six years.
7: And it's especially with coming from my department, you
3: you just see it face to face because we we are in a college town itself. So um, everything that the media puts out towards us, you're definitely feeling it, especially from that younger generation who's only been taught that way. And it's like one interaction after another where you're trying to change that. God bless you, man, and uh, the folks who serve with you um, you know there one thing I'll tell you and again, I do this series down here in South Florida every week. I will tell you that there is a lot of support, kind of like the silent majority that came out and made Donald Trump president, elected more Republicans top to bottom the United States of America in 2016 than at any other point since nineteen twenty eight A lot of us out there, a lot of good folks that that really do get it and that do support you I, I know it just often isn't depicted. In the media, and certainly with many politicians, but but uh, stay strong and, and thank you guys for all you do. Uh, certainly is appreciated. All right, we'll switch gears. Go back to Senator Collins and her big day. Joe in Gainesville, Florida. Joe, go. Hey, Joe. Joe, you're up. All right, Joe, you're you're you were up. Let's go to Glenn in Springfield, Illinois. Glenn, go.
7: Yeah, hi Brian. Uh can you hear me good?
3: Yeah, we got you.
7: Okay, hey, thanks for taking my call and uh thank you for all that you do. Um I'm calling uh from Central Illinois. I I'm, I'm proud to say that Springfield is my hometown. That's where I'm calling from. But I'm I'm afraid to say I'm not proud that Big Durbin is from my hometown. Mm. And uh, I heard some of the comments that he made the other day, face to face, to Brett Kavanaugh, and I was appalled. Uh, that's there's no uh, respect there, no uh, uh, no uh, professional demeanor, nothing. And I think that Dick Durbin and 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 I'm saying it, I'm one of his constituents, Springfield, Illinois. Dick Durbin owes him an apology. No doubt. And I, no. I, I credit Senator Collins. It's refreshing that she took the time to sit down with this man and get a one-on-one con- uh, con- uh, conversation with him. I give her credit for that. No uh, doubt. Good old, good yeah, she,
3: her finest moment, and uh, you're absolutely right about Durbin and all the others. I mean, I mean how many politicians? Uh, we, we started with uh, Chuck Schumer today in the Chuck Schumer sexual assault allegation. Uh, line, <laughs> He, before we heard or anything from, from Christine Ford, before we had any facts presented, said that he believed her. And what happened in this country in part because of people like Dick Durbin, because of people like Chuck Schumer, who said that they believed her? That's all part of the damage that was done in this country. Let's go to Anthony in New York. Anthony, go.
2: Hey, guys, how are you? All
3: Thank good. Thank you very much for your, for your great
2: show. Uh, I just wanted to say I'm finally proud of the Republicans. Uh, I'm an independent, but I'm really finally proud of the Republicans. They started fighting back. Uh, it looks like uh, it's like Karate Kid number 364 <laughs> where, uh, you know, Mr. Miyagi Trump goes out and uh, teaches, uh, teaches the new uh, sapling there how to, how to fight back against the bullies. And the Democrats definitely didn't expect this, so they they, they got their, they got it handed
3: to them. So, huh? You got of them. you got an interesting take here. This is not something that's been advanced, at least in my presence before. I'm I'm interested to you get your take. You think that potentially Donald Trump being Donald Trump maybe provided the necessary juice for Chuck Grassley to figure out that he's not washed up? For Susan Collins to go, holy cow! I do have a backbone. For Lindsey Graham to, I don't know, actually attempt to be Spartacus—is that kind of what you're you're talking about here?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, if you remember when Trump first came out, every time every time he would say something, everybody everybody would go hide under rocks. And now they're all coming, they're all fighting back, and they're standing up. And I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I guess Lisa Murkowski would kick the kick the beehive, and then turn around and went and stepped in it. But uh, it's OK. She, uh, I hope she I hope she knows how to say welcome to Walmart once she gets once she gets thrown out of the uh, not elected again. So let's see how let's see how that goes. But as far as the rest of them go, I'm finally proud of them for standing up and doing the right thing.
3: Arguably, Walmart deserves better. But I appreciate that. That's a really, really compelling thought. Um, good, good call, Anthony in New York there. Let's stay in uh, New York for a moment. Let's go to Frank. Frank's been extremely patient. Uh, Frank, Go.
10: Yes, uh, Ryan but, uh I would just like to say uh, I uh, support uh, the uh, confirmation of uh, Justice uh, Brett Kavanaugh, but I just want to find out. I, I've been thinking about this the whole entire week. What's wrong with these Democratic senators? How come they keep believing the stories, not from the from the lady, uh, but actually they actually don't know what the procedural issues are in, in the Senate. They don't understand what they're talking about when they're accusing uh, Brett Kavanaugh of things. They have no actual physical evidence in regards to Mr. Kavanaugh has showed every bit of evidence. He's proven where the time frame where he's been and what he has done throughout his life. And they continually, for some reason, believe that what they hear from this woman is actually true I'm not saying whether it is or is, it's not but I believe I'm sorry uh, uh, Mr. Mudd I'm a five borough democratic liberal from the city of New York I have a different understanding of different things but I, I feel very sad that these democratic centers in Congress are confused in regards to what they're think and feel about Brett Kavanaugh as a whole I think they should give this guy one last chance And then we will see if they were right. And if they're wrong, they should actually think about resigning.
3: Interesting. Uh, Very interesting call there. Well, and I understand, given your political disposition, why you're inclined to travel down the path of giving them one more chance. My my thought ultimately is uh, a a bit more uh, maybe cynical, which is, you know, it's the by any means necessary. And, uh, you know, politics trumps all, pun intended. But uh, interesting, especially coming from a Democrat, uh, to hear that on principle, you think there comes a point, and we're close to it, to where these people should resign. All right, uh, I am Brian Mudd, in for the Great One. Mudd Lovin'.
2: Six years ago, this happened. I had one beer, right? I had one beer. Well, you think it was... Nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How would you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. Are you not entertained?
3: It's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, I, look, it's very real, right? That was, of course, from the uh, rally. What was that one, the Mississippi one, I believe, Tuesday night, where everybody, oh, my gosh, even Susan Collins, who was amazing today, was like, oh, my gosh, that was so inappropriate. Was it? Or here's the irony behind it. You know, because Trump is always crazy and out of control like a genius. What did he say that's not true? Anybody? Think about it. (laughs) Anything he said there, while being incredibly entertaining, was any of it not true? Huh. It's a fascinating way of being able to cut through the BS in a purely Trumpian way. And you take a look at where we sit. You ready for a scorecard here for a moment? Pretty remarkable. And people will sit there and mock him when he said, I've done more than anybody has in the first two years or whatever, you know? Oh, yeah, you. No, seriously. Get this. You know how many executive actions Donald Trump has engaged in since he became president? 314. I keep up with this crap, too. 314. Yeah. I mean, think about how many days we've had. Supreme Court Justice, tomorrow, he's going to have his second tax reform. The The amount of progress he's made, despite the obstacles in front of him, truly totally remarkable. We have the best economy in a generation. Best economy in the generation. We have the lowest unemployment rate was 40-some-odd years now, 3.7%. I mean, he was mocked. Can't have a... 3% growth economy. I mean, It's just not possible anymore. Well, guess what? We're going to have, I was talking with uh, Stephen Moore from Heritage, one of the two economists in this entire country that get it. 97.6% of economists got the Tax Cut and Jobs Act wrong. By the way, Stephen was one of only a couple who didn't. But you, you take a look at the impact of policy and how quickly it has happened. Steven was telling me yesterday, we're going to get another 4% plus quarter quarter. We just wrapped up when you get it, it's going to be over four again. Second consecutive quarter. of not three, 4% growth. Donald Trump mocked, you know, crazy, like a genius uncontrolled, like a genius. Let's go to Ron in new Orleans. Ron go.
6: Hey, Brian, how are you? Uh, All good. <clears throat> um, listen to Mark Ovin since about 2015, and it's been a breath of fresh air ever since, and I'm glad he has you on. Um, I think one of your callers had mentioned that Donald Trump had inspired a spine in the GOP. I think he's done more than that. I think he cleared the playing field that we could see everyone clearly and in the two years that it's taken for there to be enough rope drawn out between the Russia hoax the special counsel Antifa and the paid protesting Hillary Clinton and her denials Wasserman and all of that crap the obstruction of the appointments that still go on today
3: (laughs) it's a good point ron appreciate it honor and a pleasure being with you thank you uh, as always for listening and uh, may god bless you Prime Mud in for the great one